John chapter 8. We're doing the heavy lifting now. I want to talk to you under this title this morning. Do our parents determine our destiny? Do our... I will answer that question. Thank you. (laughs) Do our parents determine our destiny? Again, we're in John chapter 8. As it's already been read to you, I want to talk to you by way of introduction and say this. This is a long portion of Scripture. We're actually going to cover from 39 to 59, even though we only read through verse 47. But we're taking it all in one foul swoop because they are tied and linked together. Let me begin by saying this. While so many today focus on 20% of the practical teaching given by Jesus, there's another 80% that's doctrinal. Let me say that again. While so many people today focus on 20% of teaching that is practical from Jesus, there's another 80% that is doctrinal. So it's important for us not just to punt and say things like, well, we should love our neighbor this way or that way, which is true. But if we ignore the motivation behind it, then we fail to miss the point Jesus is making. That point is found in the 80% of the doctrinal teaching Jesus gave to us. To the question, do our parents determine our destiny? The answer is simply yes and no. Yes and no. So, having introduced the topic this morning and Javi having read, let me give to you our first point this morning, your father and your destiny. Your father and your destiny. I introduced our topic this morning by way of saying 20% of what Jesus told us was practical and 80% was doctrinal because we're covering some very important doctrinal teachings this morning. And it doesn't matter how well you love your neighbor if you don't know why. And it doesn't really matter how well you love your neighbor if you think you're being saved by loving your neighbor because you're not. Loving our neighbor is a reflection of the doctrinal truths that we've absorbed and placed our faith in under Christ's lordship and not the other way around. And so it is with our first point this morning, your father and your destiny. Now following from last week, you may recall that Jesus concludes what he says about truth and freedom by saying this, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then he says, I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Chapter 8, verse 38. So let's get into it, beginning in verse 39. The first thing I want you to note is that the Jews bring up Abraham, and Jesus addresses it. So get what's happening here. They claim to have Abraham as their father. Jesus is saying that that's impossible because if that were the case, they do what Abraham did, which was believe. Abraham is known as the father of faith. As Genesis says that he believed God. In Genesis 15, 5, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, Paul puts it this way, plainly. Abraham believed God. Know then that it is those who are of faith that are the children of Abraham. Say that again. Abraham believed God. Know then, Paul says, that it, it is those who are of faith that are the children of Abraham. In other words, 
Being the children of Abraham has more to do with your genealogy, excuse me, less to do with your genealogy, excuse me, and more to do with your faith. But instead, they're trying to kill Jesus. Jesus already has the sense of what they've been planning. It's come up a couple of times. By the way, this isn't hyperbole. In chapter 7, verse 1, John says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go to Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So in verse 41, he puts it plainly. You are doing what your father did. So, yes, our parents do determine our destiny. But by faith in Jesus, our destiny as we know it changes. We, are doing, well, we aren't doing the changing, but by virtue of our Father, change happens. So the second thing I want you to note is that the Jews insult Jesus. This reference is being made in verse 41 when he says, We were not born of sexual immorality. Uh, sexual immorality. Look at it again uh, with your eyes. He says, You are doing what your father did, Jesus says. And they said to him, But we aren't born of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. You see, this is obviously a reference to the fact that Mary was his mother, but she was with child. We say pregnant today because it's like a condition. But it used to be that when a woman and a man were sexually intimate, she was with child. We avoid that terminology today for political conveniences. But it says in Matthew that when she was found to be with child, Joseph decided to divorce her in secret. And we know the story there. God sends Gabriel to provide a message because Joseph was a righteous man. The only description we have of Joseph as a person, other than that he was a carpenter, is this. He was a righteous man. Gabriel says, it's not your child, it's not any man's child. This child was given to her by the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. But you see, the Jews didn't believe that. So when the Jews say in verse 41, well, we know who our dad is, but who's your dad? They are telling Jesus, we know that your mother was unfaithful somehow, some way. That's how she got pregnant. You're not Joseph's son. We know that to be because of the virgin birth. We know that was the situation. But they don't hold back there because they don't hold to that position. They believe that God is their father, but Jesus pushes back on them with that and he says if God were your father you would love me church we have to get something straight here today say amen if you're listening we can't have Jesus as our Lord and our brother if we don't have God as our father and if we have God as our father we can't do without Jesus Throughout the Gospel of John, this truth has been presented time and time again. There is no dislocating the Father from the Son, and there's no dislocating the Son from the Father. We believe in God the Father, we sang earlier. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We believe in a triune God, three distinct persons, yet one God. That is part of Christian orthodoxy. 
And outside of a Christian Orthodox view of the Trinity, it's not Christianity. It's what's called heresy. The third thing I want you to note here is this. There's a spiritual reality here. You can tell by the way Jesus is addressing this point with the Jews that there's something more going on here than just genealogies. There's a spiritual reality here. So the question that you and I have to navigate is this. Who are these fathers that Jesus is referring to? He's obviously juxtaposing the two fathers. One is his father, as is indicated in your Bibles by the capital F in our English translation. That would be the heavenly father. And the other of the fa- is the father of these people. Obviously, as is referenced in verse 44, as we're going to get to it, he says in verse 44, you are of your father, which is whom? The devil. I think it behooves me to note for you, if you can't see it for, your, for yourself, how extreme these two options are. There isn't a stepfather somewhere in between in this spiritual realm. There isn't a gradation in any fatherly direction either. God the Father is your father or the devil is your father. But there are no foster children in the spiritual realm. Let me say that again. There are no foster children in the spiritual realm. Each person is either on God's side or the devil's side. There is no neutral ground. And you say, but I know good people who aren't Christians. No, you don't. There are no good people. That's part of where we're failing today. There are no good people. Maybe good compared to you. But there are no good compared to God. And that is the only standard of measurement that we are to exercise as Christians. Sure, some guys are good compared to me, but I'm not the measurement. Look at verse 47. It can sum sum it up for us. Look at verse 47, if you would. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of whom? Of God. There's a couple of important things that I want you to note here. First is this. God's people hear God's word. God's people hear God's word. John Calvin says, quote, If we embrace that doctrine cheerfully, we have what we may call a visible seal of our election. In other words, if you say you're a Christian, but you don't listen to God's word, you're a liar. Seems forthright. Seems a little ugly. Is that not what Jesus is doing here? (laughs) Is that not what? How can we decorate this so it is less offensive? He's telling the most religious community, the most God-honoring community, that they don't even know God. And what's more, that their father is the devil, the very enemy of God. How much more offensive can we be? The first thing I want you to note from this is this, that God's people hear God's word. But also, secondly, God's people who hear his word hear his word because they're his people. I'm going to say this again. God's people who hear his word hear his word because they're his people. One more time. God's people who hear his word Hear his word because they're his people. 
I need to say this because you're Americans. And you believe you've done everything yourself. And I'm here to tell you a little something about the sovereignty of God. This is sovereignty language that continually pops up often, not only from Jesus' mouth, but throughout the Gospel of John. He says, and I quote, whoever is of God hears the words of God. And then he continues, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus is going to start putting things in the proper order for us. Note how Jesus doesn't say, you are not of God because you don't hear. That's not what he says. What he says is, you don't hear because you're not of God. I'm going to say this again because I think you missed it. Jesus doesn't say, you're not of God because you don't hear. He says, you don't hear because you're not of God. You see, we flip that around in our culture today. The order of priority is something we can't miss, church, regardless of our evangelistic efforts as we preach the gospel so that people would be saved by faith. Proverbs 16.4 will still be true. God has made all things for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of judgment. Romans 9.18 in the NIV, which says, Therefore God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whomever he hardens, he hardens. I believe what the reformer Martin Luther said was true. Man is a horse, and either God or the devil is in the saddle. We are in the humbling position of trusting a good and loving and wise God who is our Father with our eternity. And when we do so, it isn't because we heard his word. We hear his word because he said, you will be mine. What Jesus is saying to these unbelievers is that there's something else going on here beyond their unbelief. And it has to do with the sovereignty of the creator God over the universe and his kingdom. As one commentator writes, and I quote, A man who is tone deaf cannot ever experience the thrills of music. A man who is colorblind cannot ever appreciate a picture. Unless the spirit of God is in a man's heart, he cannot recognize God's truth when he sees it. So to answer the question, does your father determine your destiny? The answer is yes. But it's not your earthly father that determines your destiny. It's your spiritual father. Which leads to our next point. Your Lord and your destiny. Turning now to this last section begins in verse 48. Since we didn't read it before, let me read it for you. You can read with your eyes. As I read aloud, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, 
he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anybody keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? What a question, by the way. This is Christianity. Who do you make yourself out to be? How you answer that question determines everything. Verse 54 says, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old yet. You've seen Abraham? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself. It's really in the passive there in the Greek. Jesus, having been hidden, went out of the temple. We see that Jesus is called at the beginning of this pericope or section a Samaritan and a demoniac. And they called him a Samaritan because the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jews, half-Gentiles. And not only were they not full Jews and therefore considered, not considered descendants of, of Abraham, but they also twisted the law, had their own interpretation of it, and therefore were considered apostates. So the Jews are not paying Jesus a compliment here by calling him a Samaritan. Regarding the demoniac accusation, they've already said this. Chapter 7, verse 20, they said, you've got a devil possessing you. This is just another insult. First, I want you to note how Jesus is beginning to come out strongly about his divinity. Jesus is beginning to come out strongly about his divinity. He's going to continue giving what we have called the I am statements, yes, but what he's really doing here is distinguishing himself from the forefathers like Abraham and the prophets. Look at verses 51 and 52, if you would, please. Verses 51 and 52. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, obviously, they have a problem with this language, and it's because they know what he's saying. They have a problem with this language because they know what he's saying. Secondly, Jesus places himself above Abraham. It's the second thing. He's, he's starting, to, starting to assert his divinity. And, and, and in this case, he's asserting the fact that he's better than Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Verse 56. He saw it and he was glad. 
Now, get the picture, historically speaking. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. So when they say, you're not even 50 years old, they're just saying, come on, dude. Come on. He, Jesus, really, at this age, approximately 30 years of age, Jesus doesn't even qualify to be an elder, a teaching elder in the Jewish community yet. So when they say you're not even 50 years old, they're, they're not really saying, if you were 75, you might have met Abraham. No, they're not even saying. They're kind of dismissing the whole idea that he has anything to do with Abraham whatsoever. What they're saying is you've got, you got some gall, man. You're not even old enough to teach, much less teach like this. You're not even 50 years of age. Abraham's never seen you. You've never seen Abraham. And Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, before Abraham was... What does he say? I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him because, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Listen, Jesus uses here an I am statement again, claiming it for himself, indicating that he and the Father are one. So one commentator writes, quote, it should also be observed that he says I am, not I was. It is eternity of being and not simply being. That has lasted through several centuries that the expression indicates. In other words, when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he's reaching back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, and claiming the Father's name of Jehovah for himself. Yahweh is the Hebrew name by which God introduced himself, and it comes from the root of the verb to be. In other words, you can't box me in. I am. So as we've gone through, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. As we've gone through the two of the seven I am sayings, we have here, not what is an I am saying, but a simple statement where he claims the name of God for himself. And if there is any doubt about what Jesus is claiming here with these words, the Jews prove for us what Jesus was saying and what he was claiming by his use of the words because of their response to it. Verse 30, oh, sorry, verse 59 says, they picked up stones to throw at him. Now, if you have any Jehovah's Witness friends, if you have any, uh, have any, any, any indication or interaction with Jehovah's Witnesses, maybe they've knocked on your door or you've seen them on the street or at a bus stop or something like that, you might want to ask them to open their New World Translation, which is their translation of the Bible, where their heretical founders have mistranslated this verse. So that instead of it saying, I am, it says, I have been. You say, well, what's the big deal, Joe? Well, it's a big deal because dead guys don't save people. If Jesus is dead... What are we doing here? I'm good at partying. What are we doing? Like Paul said, let us go eat and drink, because tomorrow we die. But that isn't the reality of Christianity because of the resurrection. Why the resurrection? Because he's the second person of the Trinity. So when Jesus says here, before Abraham was, I am, they say, well, we don't believe in the Trinity, so what are we going to do to this verse? Well, they mistranslate it to serve their own agenda. But even with the mistranslation, 
They can't mistranslate verse 59. Verse 59 tells us that even if the Jehovah's Witnesses mistranslate verse 58, even the Jews knew what Jesus was saying. By the way, there is no mistranslate. They purposefully translate it wrong. There is no other translation for ego emi. It is basic Greek. They picked up stones to throw at him. What does that say to us? It says that they knew he was claiming equality with God. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16 says, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. You see, they knew what Jesus was saying. He was saying that he was God. And in so doing, they believed that they had the right to stone him to death. But there's no other way around it. This is the case. Jesus believed and taught that he was God, the second person of the Trinity. For him, it was nothing to say that he was divine. Paul says of Jesus, it didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped at in Philippians chapter 2. He didn't consider it something he had to try to achieve. In other words, he didn't need to. He was already well aware of his equality with the Father as the Son. But for the Jews, this idea was blasphemous. But for those of us who have God as our Father, it is a deep, rich theological truth revealed to us in the Scriptures, which is our reliable God, or excuse me, our reliable guide to the faith. And finally, it says at the end there, They picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And I think this is a statement that is more spiritual than geographic. I think Jesus leaving the temple here in John's language is more of him kind of saying, and Jesus left the Jews who would not believe. And he went out into humanity in general. And praise God for that. That, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the gospel is the very power of God to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Those of you who have Jewish heritage are saved at equally the same rate as I am. Not because I'm better or you're worse or you're better and I'm worse, but because our God is great. And he gives equal salvation to all who call upon the name of his Son. All who call upon the name of his Son, it says, will be saved. So my question for you and for me this morning is this. Who are your parents? Do your parents determine your destiny? And the, quest, the answer to that question is yes and no. No, your earthly parents don't determine your destiny, but your spiritual parent does. And if God is your father, you are forever bathed and baptized in faith and trust and love and obedience and salvation. Your destiny is heaven and happiness and joy and forgiveness and reconciliation and fellowship. I love what Psalm 1611 says. It says, At the right hand of the Lord are pleasures forevermore.